This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I'm going to kind of wing an idea I've been thinking about recently. Not so much a lesson, I, I don't think. It's not one of those what we could learn from type things, I don't think. At least that's not my initial intent. But I think there's some interesting comparisons. A lot of times we get uh, to comparing ourselves to doctors and those in the medical field, and there's absolutely parallels. But there might be more parallels to us against or versus chefs or cooks. You know, it's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care is addressing that. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce technician with three ASC certifications. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. So I'm watching an episode of MasterChef with my daughter. It's one of her favorite shows. And this latest season is uh, MasterChef Legends. And the episode I caught was interesting to me because it had the contestants, if you will. Uh, All of them, I believe, are home chefs. They're not professional. They've not worked in kitchens, in restaurants or anything like that. And they go through this competition to win. And I guess they get a good, good bit of money. And then I think they get to come up with their own cookbook, stuff like that. This episode was interesting that the contestants had to cook with a professional chef. And by professional, I mean, these guys, I think as to, you know, relates to the name of the season. I mean, they're legends. I was not very familiar with any of them. You know, Gordon Ramsay, of course. And then they had a few others that I think I've heard names seen maybe on Iron Chef America or the old Iron Chef. But the contestants had to cook with these professional chefs, these Michelin star chefs from around the United States. And, you know, I don't want to blow it out of proportion. You know, they did, I think, three uh, rounds, if you will. And the last one was Ramsey, uh, was the final, you know, legend chef that they had to cook with. And what became very glaringly obvious was... The speed, the efficiency, the economy of motion that the these professional chefs displayed and the contestants could not keep up. You know, granted, there's a difference in that the professional chef is cooking something they're very familiar with. They've done it over and over and over again. And the contestants have never, you know, presumably never cooked this dish so they're literally trying to watch and keep up. So that, you know, that's part of the challenge and I get it, but they're blown out of the water. Just the fluid of motion that these master chefs, these, you know, the real master chefs, the professionals, not the contestants displayed was just, it was mind boggling. And, you know, the contestants are all good. I mean, you know, this is one of the later episodes. So they've shown proficiency at least in, being able to make very tasty or whatever meals that meet criteria for the judges to keep moving on. And I think a lot of their 
a lot of their contests or rounds, what have you, episodes, they have timed competitions that they have to make something within a certain amount of time and then present it. So, I mean, they have some higher level, I would think, skill and capability. And yet, next to the pros, there's a sports show a few years ago called Pros versus Joes. And you know, the pros, in a way, was a kind of a misnomer in that the uh, pros were all retired and some of them advanced uh, age. So I, I, I think I remember some basketball ones that had Chris Mullen and Akeem Olajuwon. I'm trying to remember some of the other ones was for wrestling and not, you know, not flying off the ropes. Although, you know, they're going to be in the ring with him for, uh, or on the mat with him for, I think, a minute. But if they could escape, then they could leave earlier. No, Nobody left early. It was, yeah, they would have been better off just laying down in the middle of the ring and letting him lay on top of them until the buzzer went. It was a complete waste of their time trying to fend him off. Pro that was doing it had a career, a fairly lengthy career in professional wrestling, but really he's a gold medalist in uh, wrestling, freestyle wrestling. It was Kurt uh, Angle, and he was one of the pros while he was still active, at least in professional wrestling. And his dominance, his dominance was, I mean, just overwhelming. It was a complete waste of their time trying to fend him off. And, but back to the master chef. Yeah. It's just so impressive watching the economy of motion. And I, seemed very easy for me to watch that and relate that back to watching professional technicians, the fluid of motion on the ones that consistently, you know, I guess what, what, what else would we call it? Turn and burn, you know, bang out the work, turn hours, you know, beat flat rate, whatever, I guess, description or phrase we want to use to describe them. It's very similar when you watch, the uh, techs that can really turn out the hours and turn out the work, they aren't really frantic watching them. They're not frantic all over the place, racing, just stopping from time to time to get their thoughts together. It's very fluid. And the other thing too, I, not to jump around and jump back too much, but with the, the uh, master chefs, how clean they work. The, their stations were so clean, so organized, like they were regularly wiping down their area, not taking a terrible amount of time to do it, but it was so clean. And I got to level with you, the fastest texts that come to mind that I've personally witnessed. And I mean, there, I know there's some that are just insanely fast out there and I've never seen them work. But the ones that I've seen firsthand, and it's not a terrible many, but the ones I've seen that's the other thing. They work so clean. Their, their areas stay so clean that just the area that they're on the car they're working on, the area around that they're working on, the bench, the toolbox, how, you know, however the, the layout was or is in the shop, it was so clean. And, you know, I guess organized, in some cases, maybe organized confusion when they had a tool cart with tools in it, depending on what they were doing, but still they knew where everything was. 
Everything was laid out in a certain way. It was very, very just orderly, if you will, in some, you know, in some fashion. And that's exactly what I was watching on this show. Easy to make the reference back to a do-it-yourselfer that, yes, they could probably do some of the work we do. It will take them longer. The quality might not quite be as high. And I'm not insinuating that it was it's horrible and the vehicles are dangerous after the work they've done. It certainly could be. I mean, certainly, certainly could be. They are capable. Many are capable of doing quality work, you know, at at home in the garage under the under a shade tree in the back. But it takes time. And they would not be doing it that way professionally at all. It just seems like an obvious comparison right then and there. Autotechs versus, not, I mean, not versus like in competition, but for comparison's sake, auto technicians versus chefs, cooks. I'm thinking chefs more, but, you know, maybe it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I'm, I'm not sure. It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care has a solution with the Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program. The program was engineered by one of our own, Pete McNeil and Master Technician Jake Sorensen of McNeil's Auto Care in Sandy, Utah, realized that the problem of not having technicians available for hire was not going to solve itself and decided to take action and look at a different audience of individuals available for hire. A focus was put on younger individuals with the right passion, desire, and attitude to work in the automotive repair industry. Jake and Pete sought these individuals and developed a technician apprentice program to give them the training needed to become a successful technician in today's world. The Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program includes a comprehensive nine-stage curriculum that includes a variety of types of training, classroom training videos. Exclusive to the apprentice program, these videos provide an in-depth training from a successful master technician. Autotech classes, instructor-led courses offered through Napa Autotech, Autotech e-learning, web-based e-learnings designed to target specific training topics, hands-on learning. The apprentice will apply the skills gained from the classroom training videos, Autotech instructor-led training, and Autotech e-learnings in the shop with the guidance of a mentor. The apprentice program curriculum is competency-based, meaning an apprentice can move through each stage at a pace that best suits them. Most apprentices complete the program within two years. Upon a completion, apprentices will have earned ASE G1, A4, A5, and AC certifications, adding industry validation to the skills an apprentice acquires. Grow your bottom line. Having an apprentice in your shop will ultimately benefit your bottom line as they advance through the program. In most cases, as the apprentice develops their skill set producing billable hours, you will begin to see a growth in your gross profit by stage five. Keep your apprentice motivated with an apprentice toolkit. One of the largest entry barriers for individuals looking to enter the automotive repair industry is the cost of tools. Napa Auto Care has worked with our supplying partners to offer an exclusive, comprehensive tool set, including a four-drawer tool cart for all registered apprentices. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. The one obvious thing, and maybe not obvious, I shouldn't lead with that one but I'm going to lead with this. What I found was if you want to be a professional chef, you can get a job being a chef and sure, you know, experience and all that helps. Not unlike an auto tech, 
There's no licensing program. You do not have to have a license to be a chef. Education helps, of course. Experience of co- helps, of course, just like us. But you, you don't have to be licensed. There's no, you know, mid-level criteria that you have to meet to be able to work in a kitchen. Very much like us. They do have voluntary. There's voluntary programs or licensing or credentials, right? Certifications. <laughs> Again, like us, we have ASE. They have a few different ones. One is the American Culinary Federation. Another one is the Research Chefs Association. Yet another one is the United States Professional Chefs Association. And the one I I think I've heard of before, not so much for credentialing, but I think for education, is the Culinary Institute of America. So they have a few different programs out there to get some sort of voluntary certification. And I'm not arguing that we should have more. I think we'd probably be better off rallying around ASE, whether we think it has bruises or not, you know, certain nothing's perfect, but it's what we have and supporting it the way it is and pushing it to be what we want, depending on what that is. And maybe a subject for a different conversation or podcast seems more reasonable to me than just alienating it, which seems to be a very popular thing to do. Uh, the, the other thing that uh, seems, and maybe what I should have led with for you know the obvious comparison is there's a difference between chef levels, if you will, right? I mean, they have scores like Michelin stars, and I don't know that we so much have that, you know, where there's a group of professionals of some sort that come in and taste your food and rate it and you make it into the Michelin star guide. I don't know that we so much have that, but there's certainly a difference between, you know, the cook and the greasy spoon as good as they are, as much as like eating there. And, you know, if we go rocket to the top, you know, whoever that may be, you know, we could pick on a Ramsey or any number of celebrity chefs, assuming that they're actually good. He seems like he can back up what he does. The economy of motion thing to backpedal or backtrack just a tad. There was one of the seasons, I want to say like a season three. And it was the first season I recall, and I haven't watched them all. Ramsey was a part of the uh, competition that they had to go up against him. And, you know, it was like a one hour time limit and they had to make this whatever dish using certain ingredients. I think they all had the same ingredients in an hour to make something out of all of them. And, you know, the contestants, they're just racing, right? I got an hour to do this. And Ramsey goes off, you know, it's still on set. But, you know, as part of the background, they have what looks like a little library or reading room. And he's sitting there uh, sipping tea, reading a magazine. And then the, the level of chefs, like, it doesn't necessarily... The nicer restaurants don't automatically mean you have the highest level chefs. It probably stacks the odds in your favor because they have reputations to live up to. So he's wandering around, seeing what everybody's kind of doing. And with maybe about 20 minutes or so left, he starts cooking. And you can see this fluid motion. It's fast, but not rushed. Very impressive. Very much, very much like the text mentioned before that just are able to just crank out work in a way I don't think I will ever 
would ever be able to do. But you can go into a hole in the wall and have a brilliant cook back there, a brilliant chef, just like you can go in a hole in the wall shop and have a very smart or capable, skilled technician. And you would never know (laughs) other than maybe Google ratings or uh, Yelps or something of that nature and word of mouth or randomly, right? You ended up there and have had good luck. And the next thing you know, it's five years and they are your mechanic and they've always come through for you and you're referring people to them. And that's how you found this diamond in the rough, if you will. Just, just the fact too, now looking at the kitchens and, you know, the little restaurant maybe can't have all the, you know, gadgets, all these means, if you will, that, that aid in either rapid cooking, you know, maybe for a blast chiller or, you know, a, a larger oven that allows them more capability to either, you know, make different, more elaborate dishes, more complex dishes, or they can just turn it out faster and more consistent and at a higher quality consistently. And it just, I mean, we're right back in the shop, right? The shops that have room maybe or specialization in a certain either type of repair or car line, car lines that they can have the tools that allow them to work faster and turn out higher quality more consistently. It just, they kind of go hand in hand. And I guess kind of where I wanted, where I think I'm heading with this is prices if you went to the you know the greasy spoon the truck stop and ordered yourself a sirloin top sirloin steak you would have certain expectations and the steak is probably costing you less than twenty dollars it's a guess maybe a very prejudiced type of a guess on my part but that's kind of what i've seen you know and gosh darn it if they can nail the cook that you know medium rare then you're fairly satisfied and you know it's going to cook it's going to taste a certain level and if it exceeds that you're going to be stunned and if you go back again what are the chances you're going to get that again it seems fairly low and versus the the a gibson steakhouse or a morton steakhouse type where now the expectations are up you're not getting that steak for less than meat, probably $50, certainly not lower than $40. If we're talking about sirloins, right? So, yeah, I mean, top sirloin, it's probably already out of the gate, going to be um, a different grade of beef. Uh, I think Gibson's has their own grade of beef, to, uh, to be honest. So they're, they're starting out with superior ingredients, aka parts. Presumably, they have a chef who's specialty is cooking that steak perfectly over and over and over on a grill I'm, I'm you know a grill or whatever device they use to cook with I'm, I'm guessing a grill designed to turn out consistent results what you know whatever that temperature is it's, it's going to be consistent and it's going to be hot hotter than maybe uh the flat top or whatever grill the smaller restaurant has or not so much even that is the size of the restaurant, but you know we're talking about a truck stop. It's probably got a fairly um, 
wide ranging uh, menu. So it's, you know, their space is going to be dedicated to what can be fairly generic. Again, not unlike a shop, right? And because of that, the steak from the truck stop is probably not going to be the best steak you've ever had in your life. The chances of experiencing that at a Gibson's or Morton's, it's not an advertising. I'm not advertising for any particular steakhouse. I mean, there's what Jameson's, I think, is another one. There's tons of them, right? Manny's. That the chances of you having the best steak of your life go up. They go up drastically. It's probably assumed if you've never been there before, it might just well be the best steak you've ever had in your life. And yes, you're going to shell out a good amount of money. Mind you, that truck stop, if you paid $15 for the steak, that's the, the that's everything, right? That's going to be the bun and the mashed potatoes or French fries or whatever they're serving with it. All included. You go to the steakhouse, you're paying $46.99 for the steak. Nothing else. And if everything else is a la carte and um, relationship is fairly tight, that uh, it's close. We have a lot in common. And I think because of that, that might be an angle for marketing. Not, you know, saying we're, we cook the best cars, but just people are uh, questioning your prices or our prices or whatnot. There is a difference between shops of different labor rates. Some of it may be, you know, I, I would argue in the shop, the, for the shop that I work at, a lot of people kind of wince at our labor rates and our markup on parts for our gross profit goals. They wince. But I would argue a lot of it is, A, look at the shop. It's, you know, big waiting room, comfortable couches and uh, chairs, lighting, tables, work, you know, places to work. If you, you want to bring your laptop or do whatever you need to do to work, I shouldn't assume that it's a laptop to do work, but that's the majority of the time, right? You know, free Wi-Fi, high-speed internet, kids play area, activities for kids to do, uh, free snack bar with soft drinks, coffee, hot chocolate, tea, you know, healthy snacks, very, very unhealthy snacks. You know, we, you name it, it's there for you. We want to take care of you as well as justify our prices. And that isn't the sole reason why our prices are our prices. We also have equipment. We have stuff that cars get sent to us by various entities, be it customer referrals, other shops, dealerships. Lately, it's been insane. It's the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not dogging on them. It's a lot of them are kind of older cars. They don't have the equipment anymore. They got rid of it or it broke and they can't have it fixed. And so they find out we have this stuff and we can do it. And then, of course, on the newer cars, repair shops, they do what they can. And then it's either go to the dealer or ship it to the shop I work at and we can finish the repair for them and whether the customer knows about it or not. But we have all this equipment to be able to fully service vehicles. And that contributes to that. That to me is not unlike a restaurant that, you know, maybe doesn't have the massive, massive um, menu. It could, especially if they're doing it at a very high quality. But if they are, you know, whatever kind of a restaurant that they have the stuff they need to do to make it that high quality. So, you know, if it's an Italian restaurant, they've got the big mixers in the back that some restaurants probably would not have because they make all their own pasta. They make all their own bread. 
So they have one of those gigantic, you know, they look like a KitchenAid mixer that got hit with a size expanding ray from Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. You know what I mean? It's just, that's what it, uh, that's what they got going on. And that's how they justify their prices. Like, they, you know, you're going to get, we're going to use the best ingredients. We're going to have for quality and speed and all of that costs money. And we have to, can you know, kind of transfer that cost over to you, the customer. And it's not a bad thing. I don't know where and when it ever became a bad thing, but it is, it seems to be a bad thing. So really that's, my point is that we can kind of look at restaurants and compare ourselves a little bit to that as a kind of a marketing strategy and at least at the front counter, come back to or respond to clients that have some questions or uh, wincing a little bit at prices that, you know, it's not unlike higher end restaurant. Would you expect to pay the least amount of money for the best meal? Yes, I know you could. Yes, you absolutely could make that spaghetti at home yourself for way, way, way less than what you're going to pay at this high end Italian restaurant. And maybe if you spend enough time, your spaghetti will be as good or better than the restaurant. But will it? And if it was, would it, you know, could you serve a hundred people with it? They would think nothing of going and paying however much for a really, really good meal. But since it involves their vehicles, they're spending, you know, money they don't want to spend on something they don't want to be spending it on. That price matters. So maybe next time uh, customers a little just dis- I don't even want to say disgruntled, but just questioning some prices. That might be an angle to think about taking. Just just as a comparison, make them uh, think about that a little bit. And if not, just for us to think about a little bit. Start considering ourselves uh, in that light a little bit instead of always the doctors, always medical professionals where, you know, the price is the price. And what are you going to do? Negotiate? There's a very few places that I, you know, maybe the bigger cities that you can elect to go somewhere else and find the cheaper MRI. And if you can, that's a great idea. But a lot of us, it's not necessarily realistic. And they're not exactly forthcoming with those prices either. I don't know if you've ever tried to get estimates on certain procedures. Uh, it's, it's rough. It's really, really rough. But maybe the restaurant stuff, maybe that's a little bit better angle for us. So let me know what you guys think. I'm on, I'm on YouTube right now. Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z is the name of the channel. Leave some uh, comments. If you like it, please hit that like button. Uh, Please subscribe so you get an alert when the new episodes come out. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, I look forward to the next one. Take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.